Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. I'm Jay Jones, and I am here with George Mays for a text-driven Tuesday on this fall-ish air September day. You think it's fallish? Will outside? it be fall? Will it be fall, or is this fake fall? I think this is fake fall. Yeah, we always get a fake fall, and then it's scorch, right. scorch back on. Uh huh. I'm hopeful that this is the real fall. What do you, you think, think so? Larry? Larry, is this real? We got to get Larry a microphone. Larry, we got a microphone over there for you. We got to get you in this program. Yep. Larry thinks one more week until fall. I love the fall air, George. I'll give you a little insight as to why. Okay, because. One fall day in September in Hutchinson, Kansas, this ridiculously arrogant baseball player <laughs> was working the concession stand for Hutchinson football. Uh-huh. And in came this little cheerleader mm-hmm. with the brightest blue eyes you've ever seen. And I knew right then I'm breaking up with my girlfriend. <laughs> I said this. I was been dating this one girl for two years. I said it's over. I just knew it. I said I'm, I'm, I'm. Angie and I were friends for a while. Like we had become good friends. I don't know why I never saw her like that before. Yeah. But th- that night it hit me. And so that cool crisp air. Whenever that crisp air hits me for the first time, yeah, takes me just right. Takes back. you right back. Takes me right back. There. Magic. Yep. Just transports you back home. Uh huh. Yeah. That's it. She came there for a water or something. Yeah. That's it. All right. Some would say the fall air reminds me that duck season's coming, but that's not really what it is. Do you go every year? I I used to. I didn't think you went. I didn't last year. I didn't think you went last year. Because I'd always take Drake with me, and now he's Mm -hmm. got football stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And my, my duck dog's, like, really old now. Right. She's, like, the ancient one at our house. Like, just take a new dog. We always go over just to take, your, just take a new dog and just uh, let just let that beast out. <laughs> you don't even yeah. need to bring a gun. <laughs> yeah, she'd bark. She'd scare him away. She'd see it and bark. Yeah, yeah. Maybe her bark could could like vaporize the air and the duck would fall. I don't know. But my old dog, man, she's so old now. I always go over to her and I'm like, "Is she dead? Is she dead? She can't hear me or or see or anything, yeah. right?" So I'm like, have to like tap my foot by her and then she feels the vibration yeah she looks like the dog the uh the dragon on uh the never ending story okay she's starting to look like that in her old age yeah so Fal- falcor i'll just call is her that, the, is that the name of the falcor that's yeah i just call her the ancient one okay <laughs> she's like the oldest dog ever but she gets around pretty decent still she just can't your, your new dog is the cerebus yeah yeah that dog thinks evangeline is uh her baby really yeah you don't I wouldn't. I wouldn't mess with Evangeline. So the other dog came over close to Evangeline uh-huh. and like barked at something else. Yeah. And my new dog perceived that as a threat. All right. And proceeded to roll her up. <laughs> it was. I was impressed. I felt bad for the old dog, but don't get close to Evangeline. Yeah. So. Yep. The cool fall. Fall air. You like the fall? Yeah. You don't know. It's uh, it's the death of summer. <laughs> George. Oh, man. Just means I'm going to get cold even even more. I forgot forgot about that with you. Yep. Well, if you're listening, maybe you can make a donation to the program. Send George a space heater. Because <laughs> spa- it's about to be knit, space heater. Knit heater. me a shawl. It's getting ready to be space heater season in George's office. <laughs> that's what it is there is no space heater season in my office <laughs> it it is year-round my friend <laughs> it's oh, either man. cold outside or the air conditioner has been turned down too low inside yeah that's right yeah all I, right i don't know what's wrong with me jay just i don't know what do you keep the ac on in your house we got to get on to the program but i gotta know do you keep that thing above 72 oh yeah Oh my! It never goes below. Could, se- it never live. goes below seventy three. I could not live live that. I got to have it seventy two or lower. It's uh, it's usually seventy four, seventy five during the day and seventy three at night. Okay, all right. Wow, wow. I don't know what to tell you. It's good for your bill, I guess. Well, it's text driven Tuesday. We got to jump in here. Hebrews yeah. back in Hebrews and <laughs> uh, sermon number two for Hebrews. Yeah. And you did um, Hebrews 
Let me look at the passage. <laughs> five through nine. Yeah. Five I had to make nine. sure I divided this up correctly because yep. it's Well, I was I was planning on doing the whole chapter. I I, I guess you saw why why I uh yeah, yeah, I split it. <laughs> yeah, you had to split it up. Yeah, I I'd, I'd written the entire outline for uh, for five through fourteen. Uh-huh. I had it all written. You had the whole sermon written out? Uh-huh. And okay. then Friday Friday I was driving around town doing some errands, thinking about the sermon. I, was, I just don't just don't feel good about it. I don't feel feel comfortable with it. I feel like I'm not taking the time and rushing through it. Mm-hmm. And uh, This might be an opportunity yeah. to ex- explain to people that listen, like maybe they wonder, what is it like to be a preacher? How would you explain like the like what what you think about during the week, how much you think about it? I'd explain it this way, let's go. So imagine you've got a uh, a test, maybe like a big test, semester test, mm-hmm. that will determine your whole grade, and that's coming up on Friday. Yeah. So you, if you're not irresponsible, you probably study for it all week, and you probably think about it like all the time, like it's on your mind a lot. You and I were different students, Jay. Well, that that wasn't <laughs> me, and that wasn't me in, in regular college. Okay. I'll tell you that. All right. That in seminary, things got different. But right. in regular college, nah. Okay. But people can identify with that. Like yeah. I've got something that's due. It's very important. You've got a deadline every single week. The de- yeah, it's the deadline. It's there. So I think I think a lot of people they view they view Sunday as the first day of the week as it it is the first day of the week. But for pastors, our our perspective is a little bit different because Sunday is the end of mm-hmm. of our our week, our cycle of of what we need to to do. Right. So to. Monday would be the first day of, of our week, and we're looking forward to Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to it. Um, I write my stuff out. Now, I don't preach by my manuscript, but I'll write, out, I'll write it all out. It's yeah. about 16 pages uh, typed on a computer. Now, I think back to college, and if I had to write a four-page paper, it'd be like torture. Now, now sixteen is yeah. like nothing. It's like it's like a normal thing. Yeah. But it's always on your mind, right? Like, right. So you wake up, you're thinking about it, right? Oh yeah. You're driving, like you just said, you're driving down the road and mm-hmm. you're thinking about it, and then you thought it just hit you all of a sudden. You're yeah. like, I need to change this. Yep. Yeah, I had I had ten. So we've talked about this before. I handwrite my notes. Um, my notes. I. I don't know if you could see that. Yep. That's, that's, that's my outline. Then you tear it out and keep it. Yeah. Um, so I've got this got this little notebook that I carry up to the pulpit with me. Uh, so I had 10 pages of handwritten outline for mm-hmm. 5 through 14. Mm-hmm. Just didn't feel comfortable with it as I was thinking more about it. Uh, I was thinking, I, I really want to spend some more time on, on certain sections. And uh, so uh, Saturday, I sat down and took took half of it and expanded it and uh, ended up with 10 pages just for uh, verses five through nine. So definitely mm-hmm. slowed down what yeah. I was doing. And uh, hopefully it was beneficial to people. Um, hopefully they, they understood the, uh, the passage better. I mean, obviously five through 14, it, it fits together as, as <clears throat> the author is talking about Jesus is better than the angels. Um, so there's there's reason why I wanted to hold it together, mm-hmm. but um, just the way that he uses the Old Testament, and and I wanted to actually have them put their eyes on some of these passages, and and that takes up time in the sermon. Yeah, um, I, I always have to, and I, I imagine you do too. I have to be really selective. Which ones do I want to say? All right, let's turn together to this passage. Yeah, because just the turning to the passage takes up some time. Right, and you have to you have to, uh, to think about that when you're you're putting the the outline together. All right, this is going to take some time. I want them to actually flip in their Bible, and uh, you got to give them a little bit of time. You can't just rush rush into it. So that, that takes a little bit of time. I wanted them to look at several of them. So I was thinking, I just can't do this all in one. So we're going to have to split it into two. And and there's a there's a, a clear division I think within the main. Um, this main text, mm-hmm. I think you can easily divide it between verses five through nine and ten through fourteen. So that's what we did. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So there are, the way you kind of were dividing up five through uh, 14 is that there are four descriptions of Jesus as to why he's superior to the angels. Yeah. So, so you know, you, you look at verses one through four, and we have this summary uh-huh. of who Jesus is. Um, so we talked about the eight, the eight descriptions last week yeah. of who Jesus is. Um, it looks like verses five through 14, he's going through those again. Mm-hmm. But he's he's Plus applying it to Jesus being better than the angels. Yeah. So he he's the heir of all things. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's five through nine, mm-hmm. and him as as the Davidic Messiah. Uh-huh. But then him as the Creator, um, the exact imprint of God, the radiance of His glory, um, upholding the universe by the word of His power. We're going to see that. We're going to see all of that. Um, Next next time next week. Um, so I, I think that he's he's taking those eight descriptions, and he's he's putting them together and applying it to Jesus as better than the angels. And so um, I just took those eight descriptions and then just said four. There, so there are kind of four. And then you yeah. took so this week you did one. Yeah. Right. There's there's one main description or, that we're going to deal with, and that's and it. I, I think even even in that we could. Big picture, right? Five through nine, Jesus is um, uh, office as Messiah. Yeah. So talking more about more, more about his incarnation. Yeah. And then and there, um, and then ten through fourteen is his divinity. So even within those little description, those little uh, subdivisions, I think there's a big division that we could make. So yeah. his incarnation, his humanity, and next week will be his and that's what, divinity. So that's what we're doing today is incarnation, his humanity as the Davidic Messiah right. being greater than the angels. And right. in that, you had three main points that you wanted to, us to look at that we're going to go through. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, no, I knew there, there really is only one point. Mm-hmm. It's Jesus is better than the angels because he's the promised Davidic Messiah. Yeah. But then I was thinking, all right, well, I still need to kind of break this up a little bit so that they can kind of hang their thoughts on these hooks, and so just gave them three little sub points. Yeah, as we walk through it. Okay, so we'll go through those. But first, let's have you read it. Okay, um, go ahead and read for us the passage that we're going to do today, five okay. through nine, and yeah. we'll switch over and let the people see it. Okay. For to which of the angels did God ever say, "You are my son; today I have begotten you"? Or again, "I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son." And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. All right, good. So he's dealing with Jesus as greater than the angels. Right. Why, why is this? Why do you think he's dealing with it? First, let's say why was he dealing with this back then? I'm curious about that. Well, and then, and then after we handle that, I want to know like why is it relevant today? Right. I didn't. I don't know if we want to get into it very much because I'm holding that off because I think that the answer for that is found in chapter two. Okay. So we're we're gonna get to it specifically why he starts out with Jesus better than the angels. But I can just say it's related to um, his entire argument not to go back to the, the, uh, the old covenant. Okay. Don't go back to the, the old covenant um, that was delivered through angels mm-hmm. um, because Jesus is better than the angels, and so the covenant that he brings is better. All right. So, so that, that's, we'll, we'll talk about it more when we, when we look at, at verses uh, 1 through 4 of chapter 2. So, so, I, so I think I think it's there. We I think we can know definitively why he does this, but he he puts it at the end. So we'll get to that. Right. But so you'd say just for a teaser, uh, people people were impressed with the idea that the old covenant was mediated through supernatural beings. Yeah, and I think just here's the grandeur of the old covenant. You, you think of when Israel came to Mount Sinai and the 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 clouds and the darkness and the fire and the and the thunder and and it, there was an earthquake and and um, the old covenant. We'll we'll look at the the particular passages that deal with it um, in the. Uh, Stephen talks about it. Paul talks about it. It was mediated through angels. Uh-huh. Um, well, Jesus mediates the new covenant. So it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. Yeah. So if if this was the the grandeur of the old covenant, 
the grandeur of the new covenant far exceeds it because Jesus is a better mediator. Okay. All right. So we'll, we'll, we will get to it. All right. So uh, what in about, more detail. What about today? Today, though, let's say people might say, well, that, that that's not there's not really this emphasis on angels and the supernatural stuff today. <laughs> right. <laughs> they might say that. Yeah. Um, so is is it relevant today? I think so. To, to, uh, to focus on this idea that Jesus is superior to these. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. I think so. Um, maybe not in the sense of. Um, you know, being tempted to go back to the old covenant, um, though, like we talked about last time, the Roman Catholic Church is it kind of mimics um, the old covenant mm. with all of their ordinances and the priest and the mass being a sacrifice and and all of this. So there is that, and you see the Roman Catholic Church putting a heavy emphasis on angels. Um, the, my opening illustration was, you know, accidentally walking into a Catholic bookstore to apply for a job, uh-huh. and there's angels everywhere, um, just little figurines and and paintings, and um, the uh, the feast of uh, of archangels yeah. is Wednesday, yeah. Um, so they they have a feast that that honors the archangels. Um, there's a feast for the guardian angels on Saturday, um, so they they set aside these these holidays. Um, to honor angels, they even have uh, an angel of God prayer that mm-hmm. they teach uh, that they'll teach young children to actually pray to their guardian angel. Right. Uh, you can Google it; just Google um, "angel of God prayer" and it'll pop up, yeah. and you can see they're they're actually praying to an angel. Um, but but not even the Roman Catholics um, just just walk into the salt cellar. Just walk into the you know the Christian bookstore here in town, and you'll probably see a bunch of angel stuff. Right? Maybe not to the the extent of like a Catholic bookstore, but you'll still see kind of an emphasis on on angels. Uh, but then just the world in general has um, a fascination with angels. I just I just googled TV shows that have angels in it, and there's a list. Oh yeah. Um, I didn't I didn't know all of them. Um. But there's a lot. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, of emphasis on on angels. Now they get angels wrong, right? Well, let's talk about but that. They, because, but they put that. Uh, they put this emphasis on angels because I, I think this sermon is can also be relevant in another way that our people might not even be thinking about and considering. Because he's showing Jesus as superior to these angels. We need to stop and ask the question: What is an angel? Yeah. And how do we see people obsessed and maybe even worshiping angels today? Mm-hmm. And I'd say the reemergence of paganism, uh, which there's a big reemergence of paganism, right? Especially the Norse, yeah. Norse pagans, which is interesting to me because you know my yeah. ancestry. Uh-huh. Um, like I, I there is this video I found yesterday, and it was kind of like a Viking war chant. Uh, yeah. And I was like, "This is this is awesome. This would make a, a cool baseball walk-up song." <laughs> and of course, the comments were like, "Oh, I just got into uh, Norse paganism and yeah. and ancestral, like I guess channeling their ancestors or whatever." I've mm. you know, that's in all paganism. Yeah, you may have a, a braid in your hair or whatever, but that's to channel the, your ancestors, right. all kinds of stuff. And this was just hitting me in my soul, you know. And uh, so Thor and Odin mm. and and all of this, so. I think what's clear biblically is, um, at one time, those angels interacted with people. Yeah, people might think they, I've never even heard of anything like this. So let's kind of try to get there. What is an angel? If we have, our, if our worldview yeah. is shaped by the Bible, and what, this, I would at this point, I would, I would point people back to um, the your sermon and the episode we did. On Ephesians chapter six, because you you talked yeah. about this a lot, um, and uh, it, I had it in the back of my mind while I was I was putting this sermon together. Also, didn't want to go back through the same right. stuff because, yeah. and I think I think before we get into that, I think that's a good uh, good area for us to talk. Um, but I think that 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 kind of highlights one of the problems that we have when we're reading this passage. Mm-hmm. We think Jesus is the angels, or better, is better than the angels, and what do what does our mind immediately start thinking about? Mm-hmm. Starts thinking about angels, right? Right. But the passage is not about angels; it's about Jesus. It's meant for you to think but about you Jesus. Can, yeah. But just just in that that shift in our thoughts, where we we want to put all the emphasis on the angels, mm-hmm. that kind of highlights the problem that we have. Right. Is that we immediately are fascinated with the angels. We're not fascinated with Jesus. Right. Um, and 
this passage needs to be that corrective mm-hmm. that the angels are not it, yeah he's talking about angels he he has verses that are devoted to what the angels do but his overall message is don't worry about the angels right jesus is far superior to the angels well why why do you think today people are prone to falling into that error first off answer this question what is an angel and why are people so quickly prone to falling into the error of being captivated by them? I think that I, I like your definition of of angels that you get gave in your sermon as interdimensional beings. Like there there is there is a world behind this world. Right. Um, we we've been trained that we're that the material world is all there is. That it, it's all just what we see mm-hmm. around us. But the Bible teaches us that there's a supernatural world. There's a world behind. Right. You kind of pull the curtain aside. Right. And there's there's other beings. Um, uh-huh. These supernatural beings that are angels. Uh-huh. They're they're spiritual beings that um, just using that word spiritual people think disembodied. Right. That's not what it means. Or impersonal in some way. Right. Um, spiritual doesn't mean non physical. It means that it's it's non mortal. They're right. they're immortal. They don't right. die, uh, um, but they have bodies. Not yet. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. They they have they have spiritual <laughs> they have spiritual bodies, um, but they're interdimensional. So they they dwell in this heavenly realm, but they can break into our realm. Mm-hmm. They're intelligent. Um, they are moral, mm-hmm. so they they can make moral decisions. Um, they can communicate. They can travel. Um, they're they're personal. Right. They have names. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can interact. Um, they're 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 real. Mm-hmm. They're real. They're not uh, like wisp of smoke or you know whatever. They're not right. ghosts. Right. Right. Um, they can actually be made visible. Mm-hmm. They can take on um, a human form. So um, Abram. He sees three men walking. One of them is God, the angel of the Lord, and we'll talk about that next week. Uh, but there's two angels, and uh, they have physical form. They can come, and they can eat the meal that uh, that uh, Abram and Sarah um, make for them. They can go to, uh, to Sodom. Um, they look like people. Though they may look uh, like more than people, so the entire city of Sodom, all the guys in Sodom want to uh, to rape them. Mm. Um, they can uh, grab Lot to drag him out of the city. Yeah. So they have they can take on physical form. Yeah, I, I'm interested in thinking about how uh, how because we're gonna now we're gonna jump into talking about the superiority of Jesus. People that are religious, I don't. I'm not trying to like throw a blanket condemnation on everybody, right? So I'm trying to be careful how I pick my words. But if you meet people that identify as a Christian, and they never s- seem to speak about Jesus, or they don't have an infat- infatuation with Jesus, right? I'm always a little suspect of their conversion. Is that wrong? Like, because you, you say, like, I have been converted. I've been born again. Like, I am in, I've been heard the gospel, what Jesus did for me, and there's no no captivation by Jesus at all. Right. I'm, I'm always just a suspect. I, you know, it you could know what I mean? it could just be the fact that um, I don't think that I don't think a lot of pastors do a good job of of putting Jesus forth as better than everything else. Mm. We, we've talked about kind of the um, anemic preaching in a lot of churches, how it's just a bunch of stories and jokes and morality, and here's you know seven steps to a better marriage, and then come to Jesus. And Jesus isn't ever presented. He's, he's, not, he's not put forward and, uh, and described and... and really exalted 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's very man-centered. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that there's a lot of um, starving Christians out there mm. who simply haven't been taught. They haven't been they they haven't they haven't had Jesus set forward. They know that they need him as savior, but they just kind of leave it at that. Mm. Like a lot a lot of Jesus is just a means to salvation instead of he's he's not the means, he's the goal. Right. Um yeah. he he's he doesn't just give you eternal life. He is eternal life. Mm-hmm. So I think the fault lies with a lot of the preaching that's out there. Um, but I think that, you know, going back to your question, why do people become infatuated with angels? I think this is just symptomatic of our fallenness. Mm. I think it's Romans chapter one. Mm-hmm. Instead of worshiping the creator, what do we worship? We worship the, the creation. We worship creatures. Mm-hmm. Angels fall under that, that category, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that it's, it's just symptomatic of our whole fallenness that we're always infatuated by lesser things. And we hold them up. We hold them up as yeah. these are really great. And yeah. um, you know, whenever angels are presented in the Bible, people are scared. I mean, the first words that an angel always says is, "Don't worship, don't, yeah. don't be afraid." You know, I always, don't be afraid. Um, so they they are. We don't want to denigrate them and say they're not these glorious beings. Um, that they they don't look spectacular. Um, that they aren't beautiful. I, mean, I think of Isaiah chapter six, and you have you know, these seraphim and they've, they've got six wings and, and they, they're flying and, and they look yeah pretty marvelous. You look at the, uh, you know, the living creatures in Ezekiel and Revelation, I, I think those are probably angels. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, if they're not, they're some other category of, of creation. They, they seem like they're probably angels, angelic mm-hmm. beings, and they look um, fantastic. Right, they they look like these these fantasy creatures, mm. and so you can imagine why people would be infatuated with them, because we're always infatuated by the creatures rather than the creator, because we always see like the marvelousness of creation, and we forget that no matter how marvelous creation is, the creator is infinitely better. Yeah, and we'll get to that with Jesus in a little while, right? Yeah. So I, um, I think that's why people get infatuated with angels is that's just what fallen humanity does. Yeah, they, we, we, they're satisfied. We just, we just love creatures. We they're love sa- the creation. They're satisfied with the lesser yeah. and they're missing the greater. Right. It's kind of how I feel every October when it's postseason baseball and people think it's football season. <laughs> that's right. I just don't get it. Right. <laughs> why I are just you, don't get it. Why are you satisfied with... You guys are... You guys are obsessed with with football, and you're missing the greater glory. Right. It's That's October, <laughs> it's October baseball, and I'm dead serious about it, man. You know, you feel me? Oh, right? I know. And so, you know, in like manner, times a million fold. It's that way about Jesus too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's jump in here then. Okay. Right. So let me go here in my notes. Oh, oh, here we go. Part number one, kind of the way you you broke down to help us understand Jesus as the promised Davidic Messiah, yeah. <clears throat> and you begin to discuss um, who he is. You have it broken down by several Old Testament passages, and the main one, the emphasis at, is that Jesus has this name. He inherits this name, and you mm-hmm. hinted at it last time. Yeah. You gave the answer very quickly. People might have forgotten, though. Yeah. But no angel has ever been called what Jesus is called. They have. Yeah. They don't have a name that is as great as his. Right. So people may be curious, well, what is that name? Yeah, what is the name? He's inherited yeah. a name that is superior to the angels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's actually different uh, different options that, that people have given. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that in the context, I think verse 5 answers verse 4. So verse 4 says that Jesus has inherited a better name. Mm-hmm. Verse 5 answers that. For to which of the angels has God ever said, you are my son? Mm-hmm. So I think that's the name that Jesus inherits. He inherits the name son. Okay, so now you've got to explain to the listener, right. thinking in their mind, because they're going to think, well, hopefully well, hopefully they have this background info, yeah. that Jesus is the eternal son of God. Right. He's always been a son. Mm-hmm. There's always been a father. He's always been a son. There hasn't. There was never a time when the when God created this other being and said, "Oh, you're my son. Yeah, you're the first great created being." That's not Christian right. theology. There's mm-hmm. the Trinity, that God is uh, eternally existed. There is one God, 
there are three persons of the one God. Mm-hmm. It's not a contradiction. It would be a contradiction to say there's one God and there's three gods, or there's one person and there's three persons, but that's not it. Right. There's the one essence, God, three persons. Mm-hmm. So it's not that's not the contradiction. And eternally there's been a father, eternally there's been a son. Massive implications for the uniqueness of Christianity and what it means to be a person created in his image, and as we'll see what God does with us in bringing us into his family, right. um, that he's eternally a good father, and he's made us sons through Christ. But this says he inherited this name, like somehow he got it later. Right. So that might be confusing. How does he get a name later that's a son, but he was eternal son? Yeah. And this, it was at this point that I realized... I can't do this in one sermon. Okay, <laughs> I can't that's, do, that's I can't what do I was this wondering. entire passage. Like this, this, this is the where one that this got is you? where this is where I thought, okay, I need to spend more time explaining this because there's going to be people here that have never heard this. There's going to be visitors. There could be non-Christians. There and there was there was a guy here who who never heard the gospel before. On there was Sunday. a guy here who never heard the gospel. Yeah, uh, if he's never heard the gospel, he's probably never heard things about the Trinity or the yeah. incarnation, the you know, the uh, the hypostatic union. He's very interesting. He said God told him to come to church. Yeah. I didn't I didn't ask him how. Because right. you know, we have our own opinions and beliefs on how God speaks to right. people. But anyways, he was here and and he had like a notebook and and that was and he had all these things written in it about like how he was thinking about mm-hmm. God. And okay. so I just said, hey, you know, you don't really gotta speculate because right. our, our speculations about God are not close. They're not they're not even accurate or good, you know, I said, he's got a Bible, he just got one. I said, just just read the Bible, you don't have to guess about anything. Right. It's all right there. Yeah. But he never heard the gospel before, so he got he got this big time theology. Yeah, he got deep theology, <laughs> which I'm glad, hey, I'm glad that I took the time. I'm glad, I'm in, glad he, that, that he I decided. He hung in there, too. I was watching him. He, he watched, he was paying attention. Okay, that's good. So anybody who says, you know, you can't. Right. But he didn't get up and leave. Yeah. Yeah, I glanced at him every once in a while to make sure he was still in his seat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was worried about it. I was worried for him. I was thinking about him while I was explaining all of this. <laughs> there's no, there's no waiting in here at our church, right? You're not going to tiptoe into the kitty side, right? You're going to get thrown in the deep end. I mean, this is this is deep theology, and the and Hebrews demands that we think about these things. Yeah, um, because if we don't have a good Christology, if we if we don't have a good theology of who Jesus is. Um, there are going to be statements in Hebrews that aren't going to make any sense. You know what I thought was interesting? I don't know how he he kind of snagged this out of your sermon, uh, which most Christians, I don't say most, many don't grasp initially, is that Jesus was the creator of the world. Mm. I don't, he got that because he he said okay. it to him out there. He's like, let me get something straight. Yeah. Like, so Jesus is creator of all things? Like, yep. See, he's he's already thinking about next week. Uh-huh. When we'll talk about Jesus maybe and as the Creator, maybe he maybe, maybe he saw he that as he was as he was going. I mean, we read the entire the entire chapter, so he got it. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Um, but we ha- we have to have a good Christology, or uh, I'm, I keep thinking about chapter five, um, verse eight mm-hmm. it says, "Although he was a son, he learned obedience." Well, if you don't have a good if you don't have a good theology of who Jesus is, yeah, you're gonna have that's, a problem. That's not that's not gonna make any sense. You got problems not, now. Yeah. Verse nine, he's being made perfect. Well, if you don't have a good theology of of what we're talking about, um, you, you're really gonna struggle with this stuff. So, just at the front, we we just have to understand what is going on here. Right. Um, so he's not talking about Jesus as the eternal Son here. Now he'll get to that. We're we're going to talk about Jesus's divinity right next week uh-huh. and his eternality. Um, but what he's talking about here is Jesus in his incarnation. Okay, yeah. And so Jesus is the eternal Son of God, but in the ecar- incarnation, the eternal Son of God takes on human flesh. He yeah. clothes himself in humanity, mm-hmm. and he's he's not just. You've used the illustration before. It's, it's not. His God, his God brain, just driving a human car. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's not just a human body, but that like God has hijacked it, and he's you know it's like a robot. He is truly a man, so he's got not just a body, but he's got a human mind. He's got a human soul. He's got a human will. He's got a human nature. He is just like us, um, in in every aspect, except without sin. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's in this regard, in his incarnation, that it is said that he be, he in, inherits the name 
son, because that word son is tied to the promises given to David about the Messiah. Okay, yeah. So so uh, he, he quotes Second um, Samuel chapter 7, which is the covenant that God makes with David, and he says that one of your sons is going to come, he's going to sit on the throne forever, and I will be his father and he will be my son. Right. He's talking about this is the Messiah. Yeah. In his role as the Messiah, mm-hmm. he is called God's son. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's the the eternal aspect where Jesus is in his divinity, he is eternally the second person of the Trinity, but then in his incarnation as his in his office as the Messiah, the God man, yeah. he inherits the name Son. Mm-hmm. He he is the uh, the Messiah. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't quote this or or look at this, but a good place to see this is in Romans chapter one. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul's introduction to the letter, he says that um, the gospel is concerning his son. So this is the eternal, the eternal side. This mm-hmm. is his, the eternal son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Right. So this is his, his work as the Messiah. Right. He inherits the name son. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's just, I think that's just synonymous with he is the promised Messiah from David's line. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's good. And that's a good distinction that's got to be made. Right. Um, and, and we have to have that. We'll, and we're just going to keep talking about it throughout chapter two. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to talk about the necessity for the eternal son to take on human flesh and, yeah. and be like us. Um, it's not just, this is not just a throwaway doctrine. This is absolutely n- vital for the Christian faith. Yeah. If if this isn't true, if the things that we're saying about Jesus aren't true, then what we're saying about him as the the savior who actually saves, it can't be true either. Right. Yeah, and um no angels have ever Yeah, had that name. Yeah, so angels are are often called sons of God, plural, right, in the Old Testament. Uh-huh. So Genesis chapter 6, uh Job Chapters one and two, when the sons of God came and and presented themselves to God, um, those those are the angels. There's places in the Psalms where um, the ESV actually translates it as heavenly beings, but if you look at the footnote, it says the Hebrew says sons of God. Right. It's like why didn't they just why didn't they just translate that as sons of God? Um, just talking about the angels, mm-hmm. but never has God singled out one of the angels and said, "You are my son." Right. There there is a distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's something unique about Jesus, mm-hmm. and this this distinction means that he's superior to the angels. Right. And so, verse four, he inherits a name that's superior to theirs. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's the Davidic, the Davidic son. Which, if we continue, and I don't know how much you'll get into this later. I'm sure you will. Has great implications for the uh, the unfolding of the end of the world. Mm. What he's inherited, he's yeah. He's we'll a, get to that in chapter two. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, but um, it, since he's the the Davidic son, since he is the Messiah, he inherits all yep. the promises. So all the prom- you you look back in our community group on Sunday. Um, one of our members said something that was um, one of the best things maybe someone's ever said to me <laughs> about my sermons, about my preaching. Um, she said that. Uh, just these two these two sermons has caused her to go back to her entire Old Testament and look for Jesus. Yeah. And see, just starting in Genesis, wh- what does the Bible say about Jesus? Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. I, like, that's what I want it to do. I want it to, I, I don't want you to hang on to my my sermons. I want you to hang on to God's word. And, and if the sermons cause you to go back and look at, at the scriptures deeper, that's that's a win. Yeah. Right. Um, and so you look back at second Samuel chapter seven and you see how this is, is ultimately about Jesus and you see all the promises. So he inherits all the promises that were given to David in this covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, he quotes Psalm chapter two, which is all about the Messiah who is called son. Um, he inherits all of these promises Yeah, and which, the end of Psalm two is everything. All the nations are given to him, mm-hmm. um, and so it'd be wise to submit to the Son. All, all the all the kings of the earth are commanded, 
and really pleaded with mm-hmm. to submit to the Son. Yeah. And that's Jesus. This hasn't been said about any angels. It can only be said about this one person. Right. Yeah. All right. So that the first was the promises given to David, and we see them fulfilled in Christ. He is yeah. the promised son. The second, your second kind of point that helps us to understand how he's superior to angels is that we are to understand the role of the angels, and mm-hmm. in particular, what I took away is that uh, angels are told to worship him. Right. So let's look at that. You brought out several Old Testament passages. The Deuteronomy passage was very interesting to me to see and to look at. Apparently, this is one of the most controversial verses in the entire book of Hebrews. Really? And it's just right here at the front. It's well, there's there's I think there's two aspects to it. The first is that he's quoting from the Septuagint. Mm-hmm. So let all God's angels worship him. If you look at at Deuteronomy 32 in the ESV, it's not going to say that mm-hmm. because he's using the Greek translation, right? Which says, "Let God's angels worship him." Mm-hmm. Um, so he's he's quoting from the Septuagint, which he does that quite often. That that seems to be his his version. Well, in uh, I looked at it. It still makes sense, though. It, it still makes sense, but it does. It's not the exact wording. It's not the exact wording, but it means the same thing. You just have to have a little bit more language background, right, to get but it. But what what is most controversial about it is not his quoting of Deuteronomy thirty two. It's how he introduces it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't bring this out as much in the sermon because I was I noticed the time and I wanted to get to the third that third point mm-hmm. um, when he brings the firstborn into the world. Yeah. That's the controversial part, because if you look at um, different translations, they word it a little bit differently. They mm. put the word order in different places. Mm. Um, I think the King, Je- King James says, and when he again brings the firstborn into the world. Interesting. So they, they move that again a little bit further into, and it changes the meaning. So the, the question is, what is he talking about? Right. <laughs> is this uh, the birth of Jesus? Um, is this the second coming of Jesus, or is it the resurrection and ascension of Jesus? Mm-hmm. Um, when when is this supposed to be taking place? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's kind of where the the uh, the debate fires up. Um, if it's his birth, you know, you can appeal to the angels singing, um, you know, glory to God in the highest, uh, to the shepherds. Um, could be the second coming if you move that again to when he again brings the firstborn into the world. I take it as it's his, um, I take it in the sense of uh, Romans chapter one, by his resurrection from the dead, he's declared to be the son of God in power. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's what he means. That word firstborn, um, I think is a reference to Psalm 89, where uh, where God says that he'll make the Davidic son the firstborn of the kings of the earth. That doesn't mean he's the first of, that doesn't mean that he's the first king who's ever been king. It means that he's the highest. He's right. he's the most preeminent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that he's again referencing the resurrection and ascension of, of Jesus. He's declared to be the son of God. He is the, by his resurrection, he is the preeminent, the highest of the kings and let all God's angels worship him. Right. And I think that Deuteronomy 32, if I'm understanding Deuteronomy 32 correctly, it's laying out the whole program for Israel from God giving them, bringing them out of, of Exodus, you know, uh, Egypt in the Exodus, bringing them into the land. They rebel, they go into exile. God restores them and he saves them. Yeah. Um, and it, it, this, this verse is one of the last verses in the Song of Moses of Deuteronomy 32. So all of God's promises of salvation and restoration for Israel are fulfilled in the firstborn, the, the king of Israel, the Messiah. I, I think that's what he's getting at, that all the promises are fulfilled in Jesus. Let all of God's angels worship him as as the son of God. Mm-hmm. I think. Right, yeah. But again, yeah. that's there's, there's different ways you can interpret it, but... No matter how you interpret it as when this takes place, um, the central issue is very clear. The angels worship him. Right, because the in the angels, verse 7, it kind of draws a contrast, Right, are simply servants. Yeah. 
That's what verse seven is about, right? Yeah, they're they're ministers. Mm-hmm. Um, quoting Psalm one hundred four, which is uh, praising God for His creation. the The whole psalm is about the things that God has made, and embedded in that is the angels. Um, so he makes his angels winds, his ministers a flame of fire. And I found the different interpretations of what that meant kind of fascinating. That was, yeah. that was kind of interesting. Right. What what exactly does he mean? Is he just talking about um, their spiritual aspect? Uh, the The interpretation that really interested me the most was maybe there are angels behind these these physical Realities, elements. elements. Yeah. Um, so he makes his angels winds. Uh, Revelation chapter seven, we see the the angels that hold back the four winds of the earth. Are there angels that are are behind this? Uh, that are behind winds? That'd be kind of interesting, right? Um, makes his ministers a flame of fire. Um, could be talking about the fact that they're messengers, um, they're agents of judgment. We we see both of those throughout the Old Testament. Um, don't know, right? But we do know that they serve. Um, okay. Jesus is the King. They're servants. The angels are servants. Right. Jesus is the one who's worshipped. The angels are the ones who worship. Yeah. And if he isn't, if he isn't the the Son of God, if he isn't superior to the angels and equal with God, then the very command uh, for the angels to worship him would be idolatry. Right. Um, and we'll we'll pick up on that yeah, yeah. next week. Um, he has to be something more than the angels. Yeah. Uh, and he has to be equal with God or this is Bible sanctioned idolatry. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Okay. So there's the promise given to David. There's the role of angels and then there's the kingdom of Christ. That was your third category that you had for helping us to understand yeah. Jesus as superior <clears throat> to the angels. Yeah. And you cued in on Psalm 45, which was interesting. I love Psalm 45. It it's tempting to just let's take a break yeah. from Hebrews and go to Psalm 45 yeah. and let's talk about just Psalm 45 because it's so interesting in its in its original context, but then the way that he's using it is um is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And this kind of helps us to understand how we're supposed to interpret the the Bible also. Right. Um, so Psalm 45, you, you go back and read Psalm 45, and it's a psalm that was penned for um, one of the Davidic kings, seems at, at his wedding. Mm-hmm. seems like it's a wedding song. Um, it's praising the king as the bridegroom um, in his power, in his righteousness, um, in his beauty. You're, you're the most uh, most pleasant of all men. Uh, and then the second half is is uh, really praising and, and rejoicing with the bride in um, how she's she's marrying the, the king. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what is really the most striking is how the king is addressed. Yeah. Um, in verse verse six of Psalm 45, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Yeah, which is what is quoted here in Hebrews. Yeah, which is quoted here in Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Um, and people might might just kind of gloss over that and say, well, the, the psalmist has turned his attention to God, and now he's talking about God. Um, but that's not what's going on here. If you, if you read it, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Who's he been talking about? He's talking about the king, right? You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Well, he's not addressing God. Um, he's addressing this the king. king. He's, uh-huh. he's he's talking about the king. Um, and, and there's there is uh, so this would be shocking to people. How how can he address the king as as God? Um, this would have had precedence in the ancient Near East. Um, you can think of a pharaoh. Um, he was considered God. Uh, but we could even go further back in in the Bible and talk about. Um, Adam. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have time to do that in the sermon, but we've, we've talked about it here. Um, Adam is made in the image of God, and he's put in a garden. And what we're supposed to see is the garden as this temple, and God is putting his image in the temple. Right. Right. So if you go to even to a pagan temple today mm-hmm. that's like maybe been 
like in Greece somewhere or in Rome, if they've restored it to the original, there's going to be an image right. of a god in there. Yeah. And, and that's and that's it's representative of the god. And that's what Adam is. That's, yeah, that's that's Adam. He's he's representing God. Mm-hmm. Um and uh that's what the king of Israel is doing. He's representing God. Um, right. he's he is the image of God who is ruling in God's place mm-hmm. um, as God's vice regent. So addressing him as God is not not saying that he's divine, right? But recognizing his role as the the representative of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you see this being applied to Israel's leaders in uh, in Psalms and and Jesus. Uh, you know he uh, he appeals to it in John chapter ten. Mm-hmm. Um, I have said you are gods. Um, so there's there's some there's some Old Testament precedents that are going into this. But in the way that the storyline is unfolding and in the way that the, the author of Hebrews is interpreting this is he's looking forward to the ultimate fulfillment mm-hmm. of the king. Mm-hmm. And what is amazing is that in the, the fulfillment of this, he's not just the representative of God, the Messiah actually is God. Yeah. And so Psalm 45 in its original context was written for a human king maybe Solomon, but in its ultimate fulfillment, um, as we interpret it based upon the the end of the story uh, from the New Testament, this psalm ultimately finds its fulfillment in Jesus, who is both truly a man, he is truly the Messiah, the, 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 the descendant of David, but he also is truly God. Mm-hmm. And so this psalm actually is to God mm-hmm. um, as the Messiah. So when he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, he's actually, he's speaking to Jesus, the God-man. Yeah. Um, and that's why Psalm 45 is so interesting when you you read it in, uh, in light of the New Testament, uh, talking about the king and then talking about the bride. Um, but this is, this is focusing on, on Jesus. His throne is forever. That again is the promise of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Um, his his scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. This is his perfect obedience. Um, and then, therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness mm-hmm. uh, beyond your companions. And so he has he experiences the blessings of being the king. He he all the blessings of the Davidic covenant find their fulfillment in Jesus. Yeah, I, I liked in verse nine how you brought this out that Jesus enjoys being. Who he is, and he enjoys being the king. Yeah, he he has joy. He has gladness. Um, you pick that up in in uh, chapter twelve, where for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He he sees on the other side of the cross, resurrection, and he's accomplished his purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, Isaiah chapter fifty three. It, it says that that he has uh, he's, he out of the anguish of his soul, he sees and is satisfied. He enjoys the. He enjoys being the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Um, he he has gladness. Um, I I love just thinking about Jesus in um, this way that he's not this emotionless, cold, distant God. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think of when they think of God, they think of like this. Just he's so far away that he just you can't relate to him at all. But what we see in places like this is that Jesus, he is filled with joy. Mm-hmm. He's filled with gladness. Um, and it's it has to do with his work as the Messiah. Right. He, he, in, he has endured all of this for the sake of his own joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I, I think that, you know, for us um, also, there's joy for us also. Yeah. Um, so he, he's God has anointed him with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Mm-hmm. So he has joy, but that doesn't mitigate the joy that his companions experience also. Mm-hmm. And you you look at Psalm forty five, and you can just see everyone is happy. Mm-hmm. This is one of the happiest psalms. Right. Um, there's no there's no um, there's no sorrow or or there's not even a tinge of darkness in this psalm. Um, there's everyone's just happy, right? <laughs> the the king is happy, the psalmist is happy, the bride is happy. Everyone that's accompanying the bride is happy. Um, er, everyone's happy. The king has the ultimate happiness, 
but in his happiness, everyone else is happy too. Yeah. Um, and I think um, companions could be, it could be referencing the angels. The angels could be happy over this. But I think that it's anticipating chapter two, yeah. where Jesus's joy is in bringing many sons to glory. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's, given, um, he's given children, um, he's given brothers. Yeah. We're, we're called his brothers. Mm-hmm. And so in Jesus's joy, we also have joy. Yeah. And this is better than the angels. Yeah. There, there we we will have a joy and an experience of God that the angels will never have. Mm-hmm. And and we I'll bring this up a little bit next week, but you know, people often talk about angels like they're just us with wings. Right. I wonder if I wonder if like uh well, I think obviously fallen angels probably are filled with resentment around uh, human beings, yeah, and hatred because of who we are as the image of God. But you ever wonder, like, the other angels, like the elect angels that aren't fallen, if they, uh, if they, if they look at people and they kind of marvel and wonder at them, yeah, like in, the, in I, the way like a regular person would look at an angel and go, "Oh, what an amazing, <laughs> right, <laughs> that's an amazing created being, right." Right, you'd be like, oh, yeah, majestic. Do you wonder? I wonder if they think because we're the image of God. They, I think so, and they, and, uh, and I think not. we talked about this a little bit. I, I think that this explains the fall of Satan in a way that no other theory really does justice to. Mm-hmm. So there, there's always the question: uh, why why would why would you know the angel, the fallen angel we now call Satan, why would he have rebelled in the first place? I think it's because God has created these angels and they are beautiful. Um, they're they're spectacular, and um, then they see God take this dust and fashion it into a, a human and breathe into him life. He makes him in the image of God, and I think Satan looks at it and says, it "Should have been me, right." Yeah. I think there's there's pride on Satan's behalf and there's also jealousy. Mm-hmm. And so in that he falls. Right. Because he thinks I I I was top until this, you know, I'm, I'm, little dust ball was created. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think that the the fallen angels they do they have that that resentment. They hate they hate humans because when they look at humans they see the image of God. Uh but right. the but it, the uh, the the unfallen angels, the elect angels um I think I think they do. They they probably see us as the image of God, and so they're. I think they I think they do have happiness in yeah, that. They yeah. they don't. They are not serving God out of resentment. They they love God. Mm-hmm. They serve Him out of obedience and love. Um. But um. And we'll we'll talk about this in verse fourteen that they're ministering spirits that that serve those who will inherit salvation. Right. Um, we'll we'll talk about that next time, but um, you know that you hear this. I, I've even heard a preacher talk about someone that died. Uh, she just became an angel. She got downgraded. That's too low. She got a downgrade. <laughs> yeah, that's a demotion. Um, we're we're created in the image of God, and we're going to experience something that the angels will never experience. Mm. It's like trading in your Corvette um, for, for a Camaro. First Peter chapter one talks about how the angels long to look into the gospel. They long to look into these things because they they don't know God as redeemer. Mm. They don't know him as friend mm-hmm. or as brother. Right. Um, we in the image of God have been redeemed and we're going to be made in the likeness of of Jesus. The angels will never experience that. Yeah. Um, so our joy is going to be, it's going to exceed that of the angels because we're going to know God in a way that exceeds the knowledge that the angels have. That's right. That's good. And uh, that's, I think that's just worthy of us to, to meditate upon. Mm-hmm. But all, all of this together, it just shows how Jesus is superior to the angels. Yeah, yeah. Um, in his kingship, um, we'll see in his nature... Um, as God next week, um, just in his kingdom, the joy that he has and the, the joy that he brings to his people, it all is just far surpassing the angels. And it's not even, it's not, you know, degrees. And we've talked about this. It's, it's not like 
the angels are at the bottom and, and Jesus is at the top, but they're kind of on the same scale. Uh-huh. Jesus is just infinitely superior to the angels. He, yeah. He's in a class all of his own. Right. Um, there, there's just simply no comparison. Yeah. Good. And so all this fascination with angels, I mean, it's interesting to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying, you know, if you've got, you know, Christmas tree decoration of an angel, you need to toss that sucker. Mm-hmm. Like we don't have to, we don't have to ignore angels. We don't have to say, well, they're, you know, they're, they're not important. The Bible mm-hmm. speaks of them and, and talks about them. It describes them in a sense. Um, if it, if it didn't want us to think about it, probably wouldn't have put them in the scripture. We just need to um, remember that Jesus is far superior to the angels. Good. So yeah. our fascination needs to be on him. Yes, very good. All right. Thanks for listening today, Text Driven Tuesday. Hopefully you have a greater understanding of Hebrews, and this is very helpful to you. And you know, hopefully it helps you to look at Jesus more and uh, love him better and to, uh, to be fascinated with him, to want to know more about him. And as you look to Jesus more and more, you know, I think what's going to happen is you're going to find yourself becoming more and more conformed to Christ, and that's the goal of the podcast. So if this has been helpful, please like, subscribe, share. Maybe write us a review. Share it with your friends. Be great. Talk with them about it. As always, it's our hope and desire. This helps you to become more and more conformed to Christ. See you next time.